Hey Swifters, I'm Simon Schofield and this is the Swiftcast. Before we get going with Shane and Nathan, here's a little taste of what's on this episode. The academic, who's researching how your avatar in Zwift might affect performance. But you, you could imagine that if your avatar is in a very good physical condition, you start to project yourself into this uh, new body image and convince yourself that you can do better, that you are stronger. One of the new trainers from Elite, the Ramper, is reviewed by experienced Swifter Paul Stokes. In my experience, there are generally two types of people in these situations. There are those that will pour over the instructions, make sure the setup is absolutely perfect. Let's call these people Simons. I'm not a Simon. Uh, I will look at the picture on the box, look at the pieces and set to work. Find out how Paul got on assessing the rival to the popular tax vortex later on. And which is the fastest bike on Zwift? Meet the man who's got the answers. I used an, an emulation tool to, to do emulated rides. And that way I could set the exact wattage, rider weight, rider height, you know, and use different pieces of equipment, different wheels and bikes and switch anything out and test what effects those had on speed. I'm pleased to be joined by the customary crew, Nathan Gare in the USA. Yo, dude. How's it going, Simon? Very well, thanks. And Shane Miller in a chilly Melbourne, Australia. G'day, mate. G'day, Simon. Yeah, it still is pretty cold. We're waiting for summer. We're, uh, it shouldn't be too far off. Yeah, well, we've got a long wait for that in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, an absolute ton of stuff to get through on this episode, so we're going to plunge straight in. Now, the Tax Worlds on Zwift last weekend was a remarkable event. Four races, hundreds of participants, two world records and two tax neos as prizes and some seriously fast lap times on Watopia. An amazing achievement by KISS, the race organisers, and for me at least, an amazing experience. I started the race on Sunday and there were more than 600 other racers on the pier. It was awesome. But it wasn't totally flawless. Nathan, you were commentating. When were you aware of problems and what were those problems? Uh, So the first notice for me was when names stopped appearing. So I had to kind of work on the fly a little bit. It started just saying Zwifter. uh, And then the avatars were kind of appearing and reappearing here and there. And so that was uh, when I could tell maybe something was up. The show must go on. And we we still had a ton of fun with it. I couldn't watch the stream and pedal as hard as I was pedaling. But I I did watch a a playback. And I have to say, you cope with it extremely well. Um, But the guy on the sharp end of this event was was Glenn Knight, one of the KISS organisers, and he's with us now. Hi, Glenn. Hi, Simon. A little bit of time has passed, and perhaps the the, the full scale of of what problems we encountered has emerged. But before we get into that, just give us a sense of the scale of this event, um, and then tell us what you know about how many people were affected. Uh, Across the four events, we had, you know, nearly 1,500 people across the four separate events. Um, In terms of scale, there's, there's nothing being quite like it on Swift to date. Overall, we, we had over a thousand successful races over the four events, which is phenomenal, really. I don't want to focus on the negative, but but it did upset some people. D- do you know how many dropouts we did get? We, we've got a figure of around about 100, 120 people who we think weren't able to get in. That's taking into consideration people that joined just to watch, which we're seeing yeah. a lot more of because of the, because the event module restrictions. Um, we're seeing people join the pen and just not go anywhere but we can pick that up we know that we know that that's happening that's around about 10 percent isn't it but yeah which is you know respectable yeah. for a scale an event of this scale perhaps but of course if you're part of that 10 percent, it's like super annoying and of course social media lit up straight afterwards um shane i know the events weren't ideally timed for your time zone but i think you picked up on the social backwash 
fairly quickly. And I'm going to venture to suggest that sometimes hitting Facebook straight after you've been kicked out of a race when uh, your blood is up and full of all kinds of chemicals might not produce fully thought through conclusions. <laughs> That's right. It was uh, it was late in the night. I believe it was about 11.30pm or a quarter to 12 hour time. And so the impact on Australia was quite minimal. There was probably one rider who was vocal, um, but I did see uh, social media light up. If you can sort of sit down for 60 minutes before um, typing on a motion, <laughs> it's always better to sort of sit back and evaluate what's actually happened and uh, smell the roses and, you know, put a pot of coffee on or a cup of tea, I guess, over in the UK. And uh, yeah, but I, I did see the fallout straight away. Absolutely. I was monitoring that. Yeah, I mean, you can understand why people kind of leap onto the keyboard in a in a fit of rage, you know, if if you've been chucked off, you know, after four and a half laps or something of that of that order. However, you know, for some perspective here, I do think it's worth remembering how far we've come and how quickly. You know, only two years ago, many of us were staring at a at a garage wall. There were some issues, and given that, that Zwift is going to get busier soon, you know, is is this a concern to us? So I asked Zwift onto the podcast, and I'm very pleased to say they agreed. Welcome to Steve Beckett, who's VP of Marketing. Hi, good Steve. Good morning, guys, or good evening, wherever you are. Um, um, now, Steve took part in this race, and I know this because he dropped me with about <laughs> half a K to go. Thanks very much for coming on. So let's start by you telling us what went wrong. Um, are we talking what went wrong for you? Because it was definitely more than half a K to go when I dropped you. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what went wrong for me, Steve, about 20 years and, and 15 kilos. Um, okay, yeah, but, but that aside, you know, um, it's good that we acknowledge that you and I had a great time. The same can't be said for everyone else. And in a nutshell, I don't, I don't wish to be overly simplistic here. And we've got to recognise that the communities at one end are a load of techies. And on the other end, a lot of everyday people whose first computer games ever played is likely to be Zwift. The simple answer is there was a loading issue linked to the servers which handled the flow of data between the Zwift mobile link. Um, the in-game launcher and the dashboard. That's where, where you log in on Zwift.com. The CPU became maxed out. By maxed out, I mean 100%. And the, the frustrating angle here is that we do do a load of load testing. And a number of weeks before, we'd identified a bug in this area, which was which, and, a, and, a, and a fix was in test and scheduled to be deployed. Um, and there was a notion of deploying it before the fix, before the event itself, which we, we, we decided not to do. So, so the bad news is people uh, weren't able to join. The good news is the, there was a fix pre-identified. That said, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's no guarantees that it would have worked, which is why we didn't deploy it. So I hope that gives you a, a good heads up from from our end. And uh, I think, you know, it's also worth uh, mentioning that uh, Glenn does talk to our tech guys. So I'd hope that um, understanding's fairly joined up between all parties because I don't think it's uh, fit or proper for, for Zwift to be defensive at all. It is what it is. And, um, you know, we enter into this uh, kind of agreement with the community to have a real two-way relationship. And uh, in instances like this, I think it's only right and fair that we're count of all the to all the questions you want to ask this morning firstly you know i'll reiterate the thanks for coming on and and apart from anything else it's it's a measure actually of the editorial freedom that the that the podcast enjoys that that you're here and we can ask you anything so um glenn with with you being at the sharp end and with you putting so much work into this i mean you, you know how do you react to to what steve's said yeah as steve said you know i talk to roberto in the technical team very very often it happens. We're, we're pushing the boundaries. We we to have 600 people in in an event, not just on course, but actually in an event, which relies on the teleportation to the peer, relies on them being able to join and pick up the the data from the you know from from the Swift to say what event they're going into and where they should be starting, what route they're going on, what jersey they should be wearing, all those sorts of things. You know, it, it's great that we've helped to highlight that and give some development time towards that and make sure that that fix gets out. And I think, Steve, it's coming out this weekend, isn't it? I believe so, yes. Well, I, I think we do have to recognise that a lot of this stuff that's going on simply has never been done before. Nathan, you know, we've got Steve here. What would you say to him or, well, or what would you ask him? Um, I, I think um, I think the community has come out and said, look, this you know, maybe have ruined my a couple, you know, a ten percent or whatever it might be of the people who showed up, and my afternoon didn't go so well as far as that goes. But I mean, 
I think there is a community understanding, it seems like to me, of the, um, you know, the scale of what was coming out, the uh, how much work Zwift has put into this, what an awesome offering that this is, and also that this was a community organized event. From a gamer's perspective, I'm kind of like, that went over pretty well, actually, so, because I've seen some pretty intense message boards, that's for yeah, sure, unless yeah. I'm missing somewhere that I didn't look at out on the uh, Facebook world and all the other places, so. Okay, well, look, <laughs> I'll pitch in. Steve, this has nothing to do with I, I guess, dropping you <laughs> half a you know, There's absolutely no, no personal vendetta going on here at all, I can completely <laughs> assure you. I, I guess one thing the community would like to know is, is this likely to happen again? You know, is, how likely is, is that this will reoccur? How likely? I don't think we could ever give uh, assurances that it's unlikely to happen again. I think that would just be setting ourselves up to fail. But we, we do test consistently and we've had far, men, far many more simultaneous users than we had uh, on Sunday on the platform. So we'd like to think this bug really isolates the problem that was at hand on Sunday. The other thing is, like you know, <clears throat> the lazy way of looking at it was to, would be to say this event didn't couldn't have happened without Zwift. But that isn't the full, that isn't the full picture, and it would you know assume a passive relationship between Zwift and the likes of Kiss, Nathan, and you know and and the wider community. And you know we always try to be on the front foot and helping empower the community because great work, passion, and effort deserves recognition and support. So we're not we're not going to dial back uh, our our eagerness to promote these kind of events and drive much wider participation than we had on on Saturday, for instance. So um, it would be it would be one thing to say, you know, let's just ease back and take our foot off the gas. But we really want to, without sounding overzealous, we really want to go into this winter, uh, you know, really making these events uh, much greater, you know, and. And, in, and when we're talking about this space, we mean racing. And like, who would have thought Zwift would have been getting behind racing in such an official capacity so soon, you know? I don't think Zwift did, right? So full credit to, to Kiss and Zwift Power, Nathan, and all the, the racing community that have uh, kind of, it's been a bit of an underground scene for the last 12 to 18 months. So I'd like to think Sunday was, you know, of course it was a groundbreaking event. And in many ways, that was a saving grace for a lot of the pushback after a few things that happened on Sunday. But it, the, um, the fantastic thing was we brought to the surface the racing format, we put it on a pedestal, but at the same time, because of this much wider participation, we gave people the opportunity to join in for the, for the first time. So without kind of trying to sound like a, a marketeer, I'd like to think that we're kind of like topping up the funnel of participation that can that can that can funnel into that racing uh, community. So you know, like I said, unfortunately, this caught us out perhaps a week early ahead of a book fix now scheduled for the next week. I'd like to think it, it wouldn't happen again because this this bug fix was uh, this bug was sort of pre-identified. But of course, we can never one hundred percent guarantee that this wouldn't happen again. What we can always guarantee though is that we've kind of entered into this deal with the community to uh, always be accountable and um, I'd like to think that you know we won't we won't have another one of these conversations in future but if asked again I'd be more than willing as I would be my colleagues to to, to, to face up to such questions in future. Well, you've got away very lightly, Steve. <laughs> you know, it was only half a K, I have to tell you. Well, much as though I wanted this to be a kind of hard-hitting investigative expose of appalling failures at Zwift HQ, <laughs> um, you'd rather take the wind out of my sails, actually. Glenn, perhaps you could help me summarise this with a bit of perspective on this event now of two, three days having passed. The community, yeah, there was a little bit of a kickback, maybe Sunday afternoon, and I was feeling quite deflated by it all, to be honest, but um, kind of a little, you know, feel a, lot, a bit better about it now. Uh, on reflection, I think, um, you know, we can only really take positive from what's happened um, you know, this this can only mean good things for racing, and we're seeing huge numbers of brand new races, racers, sorry, attending our races. Um, so we had a very very high proportion of new racers uh, on over the weekend, which was 
really, really great to see. This has been a technical triumph, a four-way, five-way conversation on the on the Zwiftcast. But I am going to bring it to an end because I know, Glenn, you're, you've got to get your kids to school. Uh, Steve, I know you've got a busy day of Zwift management high-flying ahead of you. And Nathan and Shane, we're going to carry on with the rest of the show. Thank you very much indeed, uh, my extra guest, particularly thanks to Steve for coming on. So, guys, on with the show proper, and um, Zwift, as everybody will have seen, is out on tour. They've got this massive tour all over the US, and I know there's going to be some venues in Europe coming up soon. This is a really big push, and, and we are seeing new users pouring into the platform. It, we are going to get much, much bigger this winter. So, counterintuitively, I thought it might be a good time to talk about Zwift's competitors uh, and how they are living with the kind of Zwift behemoth. Um, I was talking to a compatriot of yours, Shane, uh, the guy who runs Sufferfest. I was writing a magazine piece and I was speaking to Mm -hmm. David McQuillan and... um, David, as ever, was incredibly chipper and upbeat. And, and the Sufferfest has its own, you know, community and culture. Uh, but they've had to react to to the arrival of Zwift. And they've done so in a really positive way. I mean, they've, they've kind of completely revolutionised the way their platform's deli- delivered. And they're, they're bringing some really interesting new features. I mean, let's 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 talk about them first. Do you think they can survive the Zwift onslaught? That's an interesting one. Um, look, I think there's enough room for a number of competitors in in this space because everyone offers something just a little bit different. Um, the Sufferfest, which I've been a user of for many many years, um, their angle is the well, the name, the Sufferfest. It's about suffering. It's about hard work. It's about look. We know competitive cycling. It hurts. It is about suffering. So that's their angle on that. So I, I think that appeals to quite a few people as well. They want to be seen as hard and the uh, the knighthood, uh, which I've done once. I'm not sure I'll do it ever again. But that's I think ten. <laughs> videos back to back um i mean that's that's something to achieve zwift doesn't have anything sort of near that um and i'm just trying to think of anything else in the market uh no but uh, i think they've done quite well interestingly david was saying and when i picked him up on it he did he did backtrack a little bit really but he was saying at one point that what the other software providers wanted to be was the first choice to be number two you know there was a kind of tacit admission that uh, Zwift would always be the first choice for most people using software in this area. Nathan, do you use any other software? Uh, I have used a little bit of Trainer Road in the past. Um, the reality is, is that for me, early on gaming before Zwift, actually, while on the bike in order to interact with others has always been the way that I could keep myself on the bike for those long periods of time. Mm. And so that kind of was just a, a, an obvious progression as soon as um, a, a game that I was actually cycling in came out. So no, I haven't. I do notice, though, that some of the other competitors are starting to understand that cycling is social and that it is the social or interactive drive that that keeps you riding throughout those trainer hours and through the winter. Trainer Road, when I was in communication with them, to me, I have to say, they seemed a little bit a little bit downbeat. And you know, a lot of people in this space did think that Trainer Road was going to suffer badly when Zwift came out. It's hard to know whether they have done or not, Shane. Um, Nobody releases numbers in this area, but they're still there. I mean, I guess a rising tide will float all boats, won't it? Yeah, if you have a look on the front page of Slow Twitch at the moment, they're running a poll. If we uh, if we have a look here, I'm, uh, now the poll says uh, favorite stationary platform. Acknowledge that you may use several, but which one are you mostly using? Um, so yeah, so we've got 38% Trainer Road and 16% Zwift. So I'm not sure if they've suffered in any way, um, but it seems to be in that market alone um, that Trainer Road is still doing quite well. Just from my personal perspective, looking at Trainer Road, when you open that interface, it's very scientific. There's a lot of options to use. And as a training and racing cyclist, I look at that 
and it gives me a lot of options for exactly the training that I want to do. Um, and I guess it's presented in a you know high resolution desktop fashion. Zwift itself, because it's presented in a game that has to be presented in different resolutions and smaller resolutions, it feels very gamified, I guess, or just a bit toyish. Yeah. I guess yeah. would be the term. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one thing Zwift need to get rid of as well is that FTP. When you reach near your FTP at the end of an interval and everything starts shaking and going blurry, oh that that just sends me crazy because in a moment <laughs> where you need clarity and pure energy and they start blurring it on you. Oh, that's anyhow. I think there's a lot of room for Zwift to improve the, um, the workout mode, um, to come on par, if not, um, surpass trainer road. Yeah, I think actually that is a very good point, Shane. And it's something that we ought to talk about on, on a podcast in, in coming weeks, actually is, is the choices that may, that Zwift made over branding and that, toyish thing that you picked up on you know i think there's a bit of a point there nathan i sometimes think that zwift is it, it looks a bit kind of juvenile or is that just me being miserable no i could i can definitely see uh someone coming from uh Superfast or coming from trainer road with um this serious mode to them and they want something super serious and then they do not want to even be related to uh, maybe what you were saying, the toyish or the gamey, gamified thing and that whole thing. So I, I can understand that. And if they were able to uh, take maybe a little bit from Pro Cycling Manager, take a little bit from uh, – there's a couple other cycling games that have been made, not very many of them, but that were trying to make the – individual's avatar and other things about the game feel a little, I don't know, machismo, have a little more of this, uh, mm. you know, hard cyclist side to it. Uh, um, it's interesting, actually, that we've ended up talking about about the way the game looks. Good God, you'd almost think we'd planned this because uh, coming up, I've got a really interesting guest um, and he's a guy who's been doing some scientific research into the effect that avatars have on performance. So uh, let's hear what he's got to say. Uh, welcome to the Zwiftcast to an unusual guest. He's a French academic working in a German university, Dr. Jean-Luc Lugran. I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Jean-Luc. It was correct, indeed. Well done. And um, the reason I wanted to talk to you was because you've done some research, which I think may be extremely interesting to people who use Swift. So why don't we start by you just telling me a little bit about the work of your department as it applies to, to this area? I think what will be of interest for the Swift communities is our research on avatars and the psychological effect avatar can have, uh, especially on your uh, motivation or on your or, uh, immersion into the game, for instance. Tell us what um, the early findings of your research has been. Very, very quickly, your brain is going to assimilate the virtual body of your avatar as your body. And this illusion will be so strong that if I try to attack your virtual body with a knife, for instance, or with any kind of thing that will be dangerous, you're really going to be reacting like you're going to get hurt. You're going to have a very strong emotional response to this threat. Uh, the, the reason I think that we are going to be interested in this is you've looked at whether performance can be improved if your avatar, yeah. uh, which, you, which, as you've just explained very, very well, you take ownership of, whether your performance can be improved if your avatar looks big and strong that, and yeah. healthy. That's also an interesting side effect of this illusion. It means when you have this illusion, what happens is if I give you the body, for instance, of a child, you will start to act and think like a child. If I give you a body which looks fatter or thinner, you will feel fatter or thinner. Mm, very interesting. Now, is the logical conclusion of this, I know you've had a look at Zwift, even though it wasn't directly involved in your research, but is the logical conclusion of this that that the better our avatars look in this exercise game that we play, the faster we may be able to ride our virtual bike. You could imagine that if your avatar, for instance, will have a body which is either evolving in during the maybe the, the run, looking fitter or 
Well, with with cyclists, I think if we look thinner, we would all be <laughs> that's, that's going to be true as well. But you, you could imagine that if your avatar is in a very good physical condition, you start to project yourself into this uh, new body image and convince yourself that you can do better, that you are uh, stronger, and things like that. You can have this kind of feedback coming to to you inspired by the the physical aspect of your avatar as well that's that's something of course we need to study further but the research tend to prove or actually tend to show that there will be an effect a positive effect this is a completely fascinating area do you think you could use swift to further the research and study in this area it would be actually a very good platform to, to measure that to measure the, the motivation, uh, the impact on motivation and performances, that would be definitely a very good idea. That will, um, as I said, provide us a very good environment and a, a very good audience uh, to measure this effect in the long term. Long term is always difficult to, to do in science, yet it would be perfect to do that. Yes. Thank you very much indeed for your time and for explaining it so well. It's always lovely, <laughs> lovely to hear a French accent. But, Thank, Thank you, you very, very much. much indeed for your time. That is just fascinating stuff. And Nathan, I mean, this is bang in your area, isn't it? Avatars, their meaning, their role in the game. And as uh, Jean-Luc was saying there, you know, they can actually, or the scientists think that there is a possibility the way your avatar looks could help you go faster in the game. Oh, yeah, I can definitely see how... I mean, when anybody picks up a controller to play a game and they interact with it, every game is made in order to immerse you in it. That's the whole idea. Having, you know... Uh, how great those graphics are. I think when you were saying that, as the graphics got better from Nintendo to N64 to PlayStation to Xbox, you know, and it, it kept on progressing, was how immersive am I going to be in the game? How much of that experience can I get? And the more, and it was all about identifying you and, and, and in the game in order to interact with it in some way. And now as we're pushing towards virtual reality and all these other things, it really is about immersing you in it and giving you the feel that you are that what you see in the game interacting directly with it now that we're pedaling the game not just controlling uh with controllers in our hands i think that there definitely is going to be even more of a connection and enhancement from having a physical effort that you directly connect with in your experience with also that visualization so i think it's going to be even stronger in zwift than we've seen in all the other games prior yeah yeah um i feel like we're being a bit hypercritical of zwift today shane but have they made surprisingly little progress in the ability to influence your avatar? I mean, it, it's pretty much the same as it was a year ago in terms of the choices you get, isn't it? Do I mention the helmet colour or, uh, <laughs> or do I let that one go? <laughs> we're all rolling around in orange helmets still. And uh, look, I think we're all individuals and a lot of us want to be unique. We want to, uh, you know, ride, we get to choose our bikes now, Kit. Um, yeah, it'd be nice to be able to customise everything to be a unique individual. So you can have some sort of visual identity. Um, and uh, I'll tell you what, one thing was none more apparent than at Eurobike with the VR. I assumed those legs so when I was in the, the avatar, I guess, which was my physical avatar, I, it's hard to make a reference to an avatar when it's in the virtual world with the 3D goggles on. I looked down and I saw what I thought were my legs and my arms. And when I moved my arms, so that um, that association with that like, cartoon character, or the digital character, the pixel character, absolutely is there. And it's only going to become more apparent with this immersive technology. Think about a situation where you leveled up and became a stronger and stronger avatar in game right and so as your ftp got stronger or like here's your starting ftp and as you actually advanced your physical abilities your avatar literally physically changed yeah. in the game and actually advanced in its looks advanced in its abilities some way representing palmares etc all these other things that you could do to build up your presence in the game and earn uh not just a level and a number but kind of how all the other games out there are. it actually gives you more and more stuff and more and more ability just from and it's the same as in real life and i think there'd be even stronger identification then because it would have that matching to what we get in real life from our efforts i think that's an absolutely genius idea don't, don't do it don't you agree shane i mean the better you get the more chisels you become you know the cooler oh, look, and more your cheekbones are yeah, I foresee a peloton of people on TT bikes with the Iron Man tattoo on their leg. So uh, I'm sure that's coming soon. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, it's 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 an interesting area, a really interesting area. Okay, let's um, get our next guest on, which is a guy who really should have been on the podcast like months ago because he's a big part of the Zwift community. He writes the Zwift blog, which you can find at zwiftblog.com. And uh, one of the most interesting things in it is the results of his tests on which are the fastest bikes on Zwift. So let's hear from the author of ZwiftBlog.com. I asked Derek Slangy to tell us, first of all, what ZwiftBlog is. Uh, what I try to achieve with it is that I'm, I'm looking to have one central news and information source for all things Zwift that's that's independent of Zwift headquarters. So they will certainly be doing their own marketing and announcements, which they should, uh, but it's it's a kind of a fan site devoted to all things Zwift. One of the things that's... that the ZwiftBlog.com has become very famous for is, is your um, really detailed and uh, painstaking testing. And the question that you sought an answer to was, which are the fastest bikes in Zwift? What was your what was your methodology, Eric? I used an an emulation tool to to do emulated rides on a uh, on a Zwift account that was dedicated to that, not my personal account. And that way, I could set the exact wattage, rider weight, rider height, you know, and use different pieces of equipment, different wheels and bikes, and switch anything out and test what effects those had on speed. And of course, what everybody's going to be fascinated to discover are what were the results. What are are the three fastest bikes on Swift? That's the fastest one, though, is the, the Cervelo S5. You get that if you hit the level 24 achievement. So Cervelo S5, the second fastest is the Trek Madone. Third fastest is the Canyon Arrow Road. The fourth is the Zwift Arrow. They're only separated. The fastest bike and the fourth fastest bike by six seconds on a uh, on a full lap of Richmond. That, that that can make the difference certainly in a in a racing situation. And that brings me on to to the next topic I want to talk to you about, Red Eric, which is a, the fascinating position I I think at least that you found yourself in, in the as you say you've you've put plenty of miles in on Zwift and you start and you began racing on Zwift and you'd never before raced in real life. And then you put the experience that you'd gained racing in Zwift into real life and began racing outside this summer and did pretty well. So talk us through that process, because for a lot of people, it would it would be possibly the other way around. They would race in real life first and then need to get their racing fix over winter. So race on Zwift. What, what did you learn from racing on Zwift that applied in real life? I'm kind of an analyzer, so every time I would do a race in Zwift, I would analyze it and see what I could have done better. And what I learned in that few months of racing last winter, I would say it boils down to four things. One would be make sure that you hang with the pack. If you get dropped from the pack, yeah. you're done. <laughs> uh Another is don't take polls unless you absolutely have to. Let somebody else do the polling for you. Uh, another is the importance of knowing the course, knowing are there climbs and what are they, flats. Uh, and the reason that's important is for the last point, which would be strategy, having a plan and knowing, you know, I'm going to attack on the last climb or you know, whatever your plan is. You're, it's hard to have a plan if you don't know the course you're riding. So that's that's what I learned. That's what I came out of a winter of Zwifting with. Those four points, I think if you talk to any experienced racer, they would put those four points really close, if not top, of any list of um, uh, uh, qualities and strategies that you need to to be a successful racer so I think that's that's really interesting that you've got such a direct translation of experience in Zwift to experience in real life and as as I interrupted you saying it worked out pretty well how uh, how did you do in real life over summer uh, how'd I do I, I did well I, I podiumed 
maybe seven or eight times total in all the races. My last two official USAC races, there was a criterium and there was a road race. I, I got first on both of those. So that was a, a nice way to wrap up the oh, cycling well, season. As everybody knows who's ever done any racing, it's really hard to win a back race because <laughs> there's lots and lots of other people who are uh, 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 trying to do the same thing. And and, it, and it's tough to win a back race. It really is. That's a, that's a real, real great achievement. Another thing I would mention that, uh, that Zwifting taught me, and I remember telling my wife this early on, is it taught me that I could push myself yeah. a lot harder than I had been. Uh, and, and I think that's just because you feel safer in your garage pushing until you're on the verge of throwing up because you know you're not going to pass out on the side of the road 40 miles from home. So that, that helped me. I just my, my max heart rate went up probably 5 or 10 beats per minute. Finally, Eric, and and well done on the, on those race results. I mean that that's absolutely terrific. But but finally, as soon as I've got kind of Zwift's chief analyzer on the line, um, I'm I'm going to ask you to analyze something else because I know you've upgraded recently from a Vortex to a Neo, and I think Zwifters are always really interested to hear whether you felt the investment was worth it. You know, is it worth going for these real top-end trainers? I think it was worth it for me um, because of, of how much swifting I plan on doing this winter. I love the silence of it. I love that the the, the noisiest thing I hear is my drivetrain. Any little any little hitch in the drivetrain is, is what I'm hearing on the Neo now, so it helps me Helps me actually tune up my bike. I guess the other thing for me, as a racer, with the with the Vortex, I had three races last year where I just I DQ'd myself from the results because my numbers were wacky. Uh, and one of them was because I didn't warm the tire up enough before I calibrated it right before the race, uh, and I ended up being probably 25 watts high for the, the whole race. Uh, another was a tire inflation issue. So there, you know, if you calibrate the Vortex right. It's actually pretty accurate in the tests I've done, uh, but so many people aren't going to do that, and sometimes you'll forget or sometimes you'll mess it up. And I just lo- I, I love never having to calibrate the Neo and knowing that it's right on every time. Those all of those things um, are, are a significant advantage. I I agree with you. I just wish these things weren't so expensive. Uh, you know they they're, they're so you know they're oh, out of reach. Yeah, for, I agree. You know, let's face it, lots of people and lots of people have other priorities. And and I, you know I do understand that. And I think sometimes the podcast is uh, maybe guilty about kind of overpraising these expensive trainers. Yeah, I agree. And you know, and that's you know, isn't that the whole thing in cycling too? You've got you've got weekend warriors out there riding nine thousand dollar bikes and. It's whether it's worth the money is definitely a uh, an individual thing because for some people it's it's worth sixteen hundred dollars to have what they feel is a, a top of the line trainer and for some people they they don't care at all they're gonna ride a they're gonna ride a steel fixie outdoors and they're gonna you know ride a a real cheap dumb trainer indoors and yeah. they're going to be fine with that um, Eric apologies in advance and I've absolutely sprung this on you at the last minute. Eric Min, the the CEO of Zwift, um, is going to come on the podcast soon. If you could ask Eric one question that you could guarantee on getting an absolute, straightforward, upfront, 100% honest answer to, what would that be? Man, that's a good question. One question for Eric Min. Hmm. I'd like to know when when the iOS app's going to be out. I think that's going to be such a such a massive game changer for the whole community. I would love to uh, love to know good. a timeline on that. That and information about planned upcoming courses would be yeah, good questions. Would Very be cool. good questions, Eric. The other Eric, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, I do urge people to go to ZwiftBlog.com because there's just a ton of really useful information on there, um, particularly about how to get those precious six seconds faster by. Uh, earning earning the right <laughs> eric thank you very much indeed for your time thank you simon and thanks for all your work on on zwiftcast it's a, it's amazing and I'm, I'm glad they're playing it in game now Let's stick with a bit of trainer talk. Elite had a reputation for making trainers that was very long, but when Swift came along, their reputation for making accurate trainers took a bit of a dive. That has all changed. They've got a brand new range, three models in it, and in the middle of the range, you'll find the Rampo, which is a competitor for the Vortex 
and also for the Kicker Snap, which is um, a little bit more expensive. I took possession of a ramper and almost immediately gave it to a friend who's an experienced Swifter. He's called Paul Stokes and his task was a very simple one. I wanted a review done by an ordinary Zwifter, not somebody who's used to riding a huge number of different trainers. Uh, Paul rides a Vortex and I wanted to see how the ramper compared. Here's his most excellent review. So I'm in quite a lucky position. I've been given some brand new bike kit to play with that I haven't had to pay for. The new Elite Ramper to set up and test uh, from an out of the box starting point uh, to testing it and seeing how it works compared to my existing trainer, which is a Tax Vortex. I'm very much committed to this project by lending somebody else my Tax Vortex. So I'm under a bit of pressure now to get it to work because I'm due to meet some mates on the island in about an hour and a half. In my experience, there are generally two types of people in these situations. There are those that will pour over the instructions, make sure the setup is absolutely perfect. Let's call these people Simons. I'm not a Simon. Uh, I will look at the picture on the box, look at the pieces and set to work. So quite literally, I am taking it out of the box. It comes out fairly easily. It's not like giving birth like some of these things can be. Not that I've given birth too often, you'll understand. Okay, so I've changed my mind. Rather than explaining what I'm doing as I'm doing it, which isn't gonna be great because I'm swearing a bit, I'll tell you after I've done it. I did do it right without really looking at the instructions. So I reckon that's a tick for elite because that was quite simple. Most people would be able to do it. If I can do it, I reckon pretty much anyone can. One thing I would point out is for 450 pounds, I probably would have expected a riser block and there certainly isn't one in this box. I could probably fashion one out of all the cardboard packaging, but there isn't a proper one in there. Okay, so as far as I can tell, all I need to do is get some power to it and we'll see how well it connects up with Zwift. Okay, so I've hit my first problem. Uh, I've come to pair it with Zwift and it's seen it straight away. No dramas there. Uh, um, it's giving me cadence when I'm pedaling. It's not giving me any power. Uh, I'm not quite sure what I've done here. Uh, right, I'm gonna come back to this. So I'm back. After much head scratching, I've sort of unpicked it. When you've gone to pair, when I've gone to pair it, there are, it sees two elite trainers, the elite real trainer and elite FEC, and then the, the, the reference number for the trainer. Now, when I was just clicking wildly, I just clicked on one of the elite ones, I'm guessing thinking that'd be okay. Seemingly no, the Elite Real Trainer doesn't work as a controllable trainer. So presumably it just works as a dumb trainer. So hence I was getting no power, I was just getting some cadence. By selecting the other one, the Elite FE-C, with the reference number, seems to work perfectly. So I'm just gonna have to get it changed and give it a proper ride and see how we go with it. Just clip it in. So we're pedaling along nicely. It took a second or two for the cadence to be registered, but the power's there straight away. Um, it makes some noise, as you might imagine. Not dramatically different to my Vortex, I would say. Uh, uphill feels like an uphill. Oh, hang on, going uphill a bit. Okay, I've changed my mind. It's actually a little bit quieter than my Vortex. And it's a slightly nicer noise as well, but my Vortex was never a problem. It's just slightly different. Changes in resistance seem pretty slick. So changes pretty much when I'd expect. Okay, there is a slight difference when either you don't pedal for a second or when you transition from a slight descent onto a flat bit. Um, the Vortex sort of doesn't really give you a sense of momentum when you're on the bike. Whereas this kind of does, and it's, it's a much more realistic feel actually. I, I kind of like that. There's a definite feeling of momentum when you start pedaling or as you're going downhill. It definitely gives you that feeling of 
carrying some speed. And it's, um, it's a definite improvement over the Vortex. Oh, hang on, bit of a hill. Okay, I know I'm only eight minutes in, but I don't want to give this back. If you'd asked me before I used it, I'd have said a Vortex is all you need. It's fine, anything else. Uh, if you've got the cash, spend it, but you don't need it. This is definitely better for probably an extra, I don't know, 60 pounds, I think. Um, would I actually pay the extra? Having tried them both, yeah, I probably would. I can't describe really how much that freewheeling option gave you. I can only imagine how much better the tax, the, the Neo must be. It slows down, but much, much slower than the Vortex. I think I'm kind of obsessed with this feature, but it's the only discernible difference I can really see. Um, but guys, it's worth it. It makes it a much, a much nicer kind of riding experience. Changes in gradient seem a little faster and perhaps a little more immediate. Can you be a little more immediate? I don't know. Been on my other trainer. Um, oh, nice. Bit of kudos from Simon Schofield. Nice. Um, um, I'm liking this a lot. I've been extolling the virtues to anyone that'll listen to me about getting with the trainer, but uh, I feel like we should be on Elite's payroll, and I'm not. They've made a nice bit of kit. I think I might be sold on this. I'll, uh, I might have a look what deals are around for these and see how much Vortexes are going for on eBay. So I'm sweating quite a bit. Just thought I'd share that. And I'll, uh, I'll be back after the race. So Paul went off to do a race, uh, a race I was actually in as well. He um, beat me by jumping me at the top of Box Hill, which I wasn't best pleased about. But Paul managed to finish the race and also additionally, um, impressively, managed to record this short piece straight after crossing the finish line. Okay, so I've just finished the race. Um, very out of breath. Uh, my hands are trembling a little bit. Grey race, um, EVR B group, I think, but it was too hard for me. The the trainer is good. The only gripe or slight issue I had, the, the cadence was out every so often. Um, I'd be sitting there at 85 uh, and it would sound at 115, but only for a second or two, and then it clicked back to normal and it was fine. Okay, I'm gonna go and have to sit down. And now nobody could say Paul hasn't taken this mission seriously. He did two more rides on the same bit of course on his Vortex and the Elite Ramper. Using his stage as power meter, it kept the effort identical, like within two watts on both rides. He wanted to see how the Ramper and the Vortex reported power. Now, the Vortex reported a 14 watt higher average power over the ride. But Paul's got a theory on why that is. Uh, going downhill with the ramper is really difficult to keep the power on because it just makes it, it makes it easy to pedal like in real life. Whereas the Vortex doesn't do that quite so well. So when I'm going downhill, I am using more power on the Vortex compared to the ramper, which makes it less realistic, slightly better workout, I guess, but less road-like. So if I look at Strava on the four files that are up there in relation to the power for the, the various little, te the two rides I've done, obviously each ride having two files. And as much as I wanted this to be a groundbreaking piece of investigative journalism, um, they're all pretty consistent, which is somewhat disappointing really. It's just starting to rain here, so I'll leave it there. Now, it sounds to me as though Paul is edging towards favouring the ramper over his existing vortex, but he's going to have a bit more time uh, in a few more situations riding the new ramper, and we'll get him back before the end of the podcast for a final verdict. Shane, I think you've had 
a bit of time on the ramper, have you not? I have. I just published the uh, my initial unboxing and building and first roll today on the YouTube channel. Um, yeah, look, really good to see Elite progressing here. Um, well, we know about the driver. I think we've spoken about that before, and that, that's sort of the showcase. That's the top of the range. But the, the ramper is the competitor against the kicker snap. Um, I'm pretty impressed with it so far. The instruction manual had me a bit confuzzled at the start, <laughs> and a lot of people have picked me up where I've actually bolted the uh, the unit on in the wrong spot, but I've got all that sorted now, so that's all good. So thank you to the online community for fixing me up on that. Um, yeah, I am just I'm, – I'm actually sitting here in my kit ready to ride it myself. Um, so I hear good things, and we just heard good things. We'll see how we go. Yeah. There's such a choice now of trainers i'm beginning to detect uh something i'm going to call trainer choice angst it's a bit like that that moment particularly in an american supermarket actually nathan where you go in uh, and you look for something and you are overwhelmed by choice there is i think i think they call it the retail analysts call it the tyranny of choice uh, you know there's just there's too much there's, there's too much to consider in making this big decision for people about how they're going to spend their winter training on what machine. Have you detected the tyranny of choice in the trainer market? Uh, definitely. I think that it's, I mean, if I were to try and go out and buy a trainer right now, I mean, there are a few that I'm looking at, even in the high-end market, I'm like, well, I've got a Neo, I've got the new kicker, I've got the new hammer maybe coming out. I mean, there's all these different, you know, high-end trainers that are coming down at that. At that point, I'm like, well, which one's going to be the best between these? And and it is kind of a situation like buying a new bike. Uh, how much do I get to test ride it? Maybe mm. at the local shop, I can take it around the parking lot, but that doesn't put it in performance. That doesn't put it into a you know performance situation at all. So having a lot of choices is good, and having competition in the market is going to drive everybody to make the best trainer that they possibly can at each of those price points so on the other end of it though i think each of these companies is being driven by the other to at that price point make the best product possible so at a certain point we might get to where you get one or the other you're gonna buy pretty much the same thing around five to six hundred dollars you're gonna buy pretty much the same thing around fifteen hundred to two thousand etc so i think that with the competition in the market we are starting to drive it towards some high-end precision I think Nathan's absolutely nailed that, don't you, Shane? In some senses, this this choice will end up being a bit of a funnel. And, yeah. uh, you know, budget will always be a thing for people. So it's like, okay, I've got X hundred dollars, pounds, euros to spend. Actually, it is really down to two trainers or three trainers. Yeah, look, this is a really interesting one. And this is where, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll sing the praises of YouTube here because people want to know, look, it's like going to a restaurant. There's a menu and, you know, well, there's the chicken or the pork or the vegetarian or the vegan menu, um, you know, as I must address as well. Um, <laughs> that's all good and well. And that's what we're seeing from the manufacturers themselves. They're telling you what the unit is. And we're seeing that from the DC Rainmaker. You know, here's all the reviews of the trainers and here's all the spec sheets. What's it like to unbox one of these? And that's where I come in with my content. Yeah. Um, and I've, like yesterday, I, I upturned the box and parts went everywhere because that's what happens when you buy one of these. Now, once I get enough of these trainers in and I, I sort of do the same process for all of them, people will then be better informed about what process is better for them. Yesterday, I had the problem with where do I put this head unit, the, the resistance unit on this trainer? Is it... I, People who aren't into manually building things or not fans of IKEA, they might want to go to a more a direct drive so they can just open it up. One of the easiest trainers I've had to get out of a box is the Neo. You just flip the legs open and put the cassette on. You're good to go. Yeah. Um, so it's about what does the meal taste like? What's the experience of sitting down at the restaurant? Um, that's the analogy I'll use. So hopefully my content is helping with that and helping people make decisions. And uh, But it's great to see such competition in this marketplace. Um, I'm not sure if my house can store any more boxes, though. I've got a few. <laughs> I actually think that's a really good point, Shane, which is about how we, I guess, as the sort of super users in this area, um, present reviews to people, which actually was why I asked my friend, who's an experienced Zwifter, to do that review. Do you think there's, there's space for... Ordinary, more ordinary users' views of these things, rather than me and you and Nathan, who ride, you know, who are lucky enough to ride probably 
all or most of the trainers. You know, should we hear more of the the kind of ordinary voice? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm all for that because what it's about is the general experience somebody has. You may not be a technology expert or an indoor cycling expert or an outside cycling expert. If you're just a general person who wants to go to the shop and buy one of these, what's that experience like? I, mm. I can't present that because I'm all over the tech. I know how things work at the back end and I can troubleshoot. Well, apparently I can't work um, uh, an Allen key yesterday, but I got that sorted <laughs> myself. <laughs> but, but yeah, absolutely. I'm all for people generating content. It's hard to do on, um, it's hard to put that down in a, a textural way. So, you know, people's recommendations on Facebook are one thing, but they're very static. People need to make more videos. And uh, it's the same with Nathan's stream as well. You're seeing real people do real things um, and you can relate a lot better when someone's looking down the barrel of the gun, I guess, at you, well, camera, yeah. and uh, telling you what things are all about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good points. All, all good points. Now, as we were saying at the top of the show, it's not the first time that the Worlds has been run as a race on Zwift. Around about this time last year, there was another World Series. And as we were all saying earlier on, it just shows how far we've come because... Um, despite the best and Herculean efforts of a guy called Tam Burns, um, that event proved, um, what should we say, it proved a difficult dog to keep on the porch. And we'll talk some more about that in a few moments. But first, let's hear from Tam, um, who has uh, taken on the task again of being the community organiser for an event which is aimed at getting the participation of as many nations as possible. Last year, I think I'd done um, just under 2,000 emails to people back and forward, and I was putting every single person's detail on a, a, a Word document and then cutting and pasting that into the web page. And, and it was back and forth, back and forth, and it was completely absorbing my life. And um, I, I think it was about three or four hours a day. But now with Google Forms, because the forum's been set up, people just fill their details in. And as you know, it just goes straight to a, a spreadsheet and Google Sheets. So it's absolutely fantastic. Do you know what, Tam? I'm really interested in why why guys like you do what you do, uh, for which I have to say the community is incredibly grateful. But this still must take up, you know, quite some chunk of your time. What, what What's the motivation for, for organising a big event on Zwift like this? Well, I tell you what, see if you can work it out, <laughs> let me know. I think it's it's just the enjoyment and and I think I'm terrible and, and my wife says I'm actually just like her, but I, I complain about some of the things she does and she complains what I do, you know, kind of general things. And it's just, once you start, you just cannot finish. And um, I think it's seeing the end product and you get so many comments and private messages with people saying thanks very much. I mean, there is a general community who sometimes you never hear from them and they think all these events and everything else just somebody snaps their fingers and it happens. As for your question, the, the, the motivation, I, I don't know if it's just um, personal satisfaction for me with helping other people who can possibly organise these things or haven't got the time or the knowledge to do it. I asked Tam if the entries he'd received so far were short in any particular categories. But I, I think some people at the the kind of lower end of the food chain or the, the the back end of the echelon still believe that all these events are, are for the thin, fast, super fit, fit guys. And, and and a lot of the women don't get involved either because it's, um, I think it's a 90, 90% to 10% split on the people who use it. So I think women, it's a kind of world over, women still believe that they are, not as important as the male riders. I'm trying to push for more and more women to be involved in Zwift. In the instructions, we've taken all this into consideration and we've said, you know, whilst we want everybody to take part, including the people who haven't got smart trainers, we'll see, we'll, we'll, well, we'll see listen, how it goes. I, I mean, I think your aims in trying to get more Cat D riders and particularly more women, and that was one of the standout things from your stats, really, just how low the participation rate is um, for women in, in this event. And I think it's probably reflected across Swift. So good luck to you, Tam. That is a, a, an excellent ambition and really good to see somebody pushing hard on on people who if they did participate i'm sure they'd enjoy it but i can understand the reasons why they they may feel kind of intimidated uh, or possibly even not welcome at times and it's really good to see an event like this uh pushing those buttons uh, tam remind us when it is 
It's on the the nineteenth of November, and it's uh, it starts at midday British Standard Time. Now on the web page, um, if people go to the web page, we have got a, a calculator on there where they can click in, no matter where they are in the world. And click in, it will tell them what time the event starts in their part of the world. Um, as somebody who felt your pain this time last year when you tried it, I really, really do wish you the biggest possible success with this year's event. And on behalf of the community, thanks very much for all the work you're doing. Well, thanks very much, Simon. And hopefully, if you're in it or whoever's in it this year, they're going to feel some more pain because obviously it's the figure eight this year. Um, for the, the Cat A and Cat B guys, it's got to be three laps, so just under 90 Ks, because last year, this, as a lot of people said, too short, so they're going to work Excellent. for it I this year. It. Thanks a lot, Tam. Guys, do you remember Tam's worlds last year? I do. I definitely do. I believe I covered that race, yeah. and uh, it was super exciting. So um, at the same time, there was pushback afterwards. We didn't have an event module. Uh, we had to just line up at, uh, at the line to be sent off at a certain time. And, you know, it, it, it was when the community was working with what was there, you know, in the old school days of yeah, trying to yeah. race and figure out times and everything. But yeah, I definitely remember it. And I don't remember who won it though. No, I don't That's, remember uh, who won it. I, but I, I mean, I, I, I took part in it, but I do remember it being utterly, utterly chaotic I mean, God, you know, it's not so long ago, but this is in the days where, you know, we used to have to trust everybody who was in a race, for God's sake, to kind of decide when they were going to start. I mean, it does show how far and how fast we've moved, doesn't it, Shane? Yeah, for sure. I remember the days of lining up and making sure my bike didn't go across the line, having to do a U-turn and everything like that. <laughs> um, it was kind of funny, but it was like herding cats or, as you said, keeping the dog on the porch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, Tam raises for me an interesting point, and I think, again, it relates back to our conversation right at the beginning of the show, which is how much work the community puts in. And you say the community, but of course it's always or usually an individual who does most of the work or a collection of individuals. Do you think we appreciate them enough? Some people do, definitely. There's some strong appreciation and understanding that I've seen. A lot of times those who are newer to the racing, what I've noticed that don't understand how this is a developed, that don't under, that haven't been around it quite long enough to know that this is not something that Zwift has created actually, that, uh, you know, there's kind of a walk in and, oh, this is all just here and I'm going to use it, you know? And so, uh, and then when it doesn't work out perfectly or they don't understand how it's gone and how it works, there's uh, definitely some strong pushback uh, and not an understanding of, you know, this was all kind of put out there on somebody's time for free. So, yeah, I think there's both end out there. There's definitely both end. But uh, you do see almost a post daily right now uh, asking questions that seem a little bit pointed on some of the racing uh, forums. So uh, but the organizers are keen to that and they are putting things in place to answer questions every single time. So the reaction hasn't been like, well, I'm not appreciated and I'm just going to walk away. It's actually yeah. been, well, they're asking for something. Let's put it to give a better exclamation explanation why things are happening the way they are. Like on Zwift power, there's basically a new feature almost every day. It seems yeah. like so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, just very briefly, I want to give the, the last word on uh, trainers today to my mate, Paul, who is going to give us his final verdict on the Ramper versus the Vortex. Take it away, Paul. They're very similar. Uh, it, I, I perhaps started with the process thinking they were going to be dramatically different. Um, they're not like chalk and cheese. They're like two different types of cheese. My overall verdict would be perhaps I do prefer the Ramper. And is that because you just feel it's slightly got a slightly better road feel? That seems to be the impression I got from, from your review. Certainly the road feel was more realistic to um, what you experience out in the real world. I think the changes in gradient were more pronounced and, and, and that was preferable. And, and as I said um, at some length, the, the feel of momentum is is a very nice thing. The, the noise level wasn't so much different in terms of volume, but the actual tone of the noise from the ramper made things at home a little easier. So it wasn't quite as intrusive as, as the Vortex is. 
Yeah, and I, I, you know that's something that, that that Wahoo have been working on with the kicker. The, the the overall noise level of the second kicker is not that different, but it's a different type of noise. And I think all the trainer manufacturers are very conscious mm. of that now. So if you were setting out, uh, and the, the 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 stark choice of would you buy a Ramper or would you buy a Vortex, which one would it be? I would I would buy the Ramper. When I've looked around for various deals, the price difference is probably 50 or 60 pounds. Because I use the, the, the trainer quite a lot now, I think it's probably worth the extra. Excellent. Well, I, I really enjoyed your review. I'm absolutely certain that listeners will do. And uh, so thanks very much for putting so much effort into it. Thanks very much, Simon. Okay, guys. Well, um, that's another one in the bag. It's been a slightly odd podcast today because we started off with that kind of ambitious and fairly successful I think big conversation at the top involving involving four people and the the events of the world which didn't really leave as much time to say hello and how are we to each other so um, Nathan anything new with you dude uh, well, I will be traveling uh, quite a bit over the next month and a half or so uh, with the uh, Zwift tour actually of North America. So oh, you're, nice. you're part me... of that, are you? Yes, might see me at a couple of those events. I'm on my way to Portland on Friday, and then I think I'm heading over to Vancouver the following week. Uh, and then they're they are coming to the Midwest, pretty local to me: Milwaukee, Chicago, Minneapolis. I might be a part of a couple of those. Oh well, that's really interesting. I expect you to be hunting for intelligence and reporting it back to us immediately. Um, Shane still busy with making YouTube videos. Oh, look, absolutely flat out. As you saw the other day, I've got the, the, the Ramper and also the Drivo. Um, yeah, I'm riding that at the moment. I like it. Yeah, I'm keen to check it out. Um, now, if people remember my review of the Neo, I made that thing smell like fish. Um, and I had to work with the team behind the scenes to fix the firmware on that thing because I gave it absolute hell and, and we got it fixed and we got it right. Um, what else is going on? We're beta testing firmware for other trainers. We're working through a few, um, I guess, integrity issues with another certain power meter that I have. Um, look, it's it's flat out full time for me at the moment and the sun's coming out. So we're getting some more rides outside as well. Yeah. So I'm using that Zwift Fitness outside. It's flat out. So keep an eye on my uh, social media platforms uh, across... I guess every social media platform except <laughs> Snapchat because I can't work that out. <laughs> and, Snapchat's, uh, yeah, it's Snapchat's all... for teenagers, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. But it's uh, it's all bikes. It's all the time. It's all Australiana. And uh, yeah, the bushfire season's coming up. So look out. Okay. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, thank you very much indeed. I'm going to finish by putting you on the spot. So I hope you know. I hope you read your show notes for this one, fellas, because uh, next episode we've got Eric Minon. Um, so. Nathan, you get one question to Eric Min and you are guaranteed that he's going to give you an absolutely 100% straight, truthful, honest answer. Not that he wouldn't give, not that he would give you anything else, but you know what I mean. You'd get the answer. What's the question? Oh, this is a tough one. I have too many of them that are high up on the list, actually. Uh, but one that is very simple, obviously, for racing and what I'm up to in an interaction with Zwift is... Will we see a velodrome or some sort of course that is focused around instances of racing? Specifically, velodrome has been a hot topic in the stream too. So Yeah, Shade. <laughs> Look, I've had a hard think about this one, and uh, this might be controversial. I'm not sure he'll give us the true answer. I'll have to make sure he's sitting down when I ask this question of him, but it will be Eric, kicker or Neo? <laughs> Yeah, Ooh, we, we can't one. we cannot know we've not got a straight answer from anyone on that so i think eric might be able to give us an answer maybe that is a very good uh, that is a very good way of uh, what shall i say shane dealing with that little challenge i say you well done excellent okay boys thank you very much indeed for your time on this one hope people have enjoyed listening to it and uh, we will of course be back thanks guys yep cheers thank you That's it, Zwifters. As ever, I'd like to thank Zwift for their support for the podcast, which helps to keep it on air and keep it frequent. And as ever, I'd just like to remind you that um, grateful though I am for that support, it doesn't influence anything at all that we say on the Zwiftcast. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time.